So our purpose statement as a church um, is up here on the screen. Um, we've been reading it each week. To transform our world by becoming walking houses of prayer where people encounter Jesus. So the last couple of weeks, what I've done is I've picked some obscure parts of the Christmas story. Really, the parts that we don't like that are, are not the best responses of people, right? Jesus needs a place to stay. There's no room at the inn. Uh, hey, there's an alternate king, so let's kill all the babies. You know, good, happy Christmas messaging. Uh, so this week, I thought I'd do something nice for a change. Um, so, so today, uh, we're going to look at Mary, but I want to propose to us that we look at Mary and her story as what it looks like to be a walking house of prayer. Um, Mary is someone who for nine months quite literally carried the person of Jesus everywhere she went. Right? Our, our goal is to live that way permanently, maybe not here, but here. Um, she, uh, the presence of God was birthed into the world through her life. Uh, when we think about spiritual growth and what it means to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, the person of Jesus literally grew inside of her, not just spiritually becoming like him, she literally grew him inside. So in many ways, Mary is a, is a, a great example for us of what it looks like to be the kind of people that our church wants to be. So let's read Luke chapter 1, uh, the story that we love so much. And think about what it means for Mary to be a walking house of prayer. So this is Luke chapter 1, starting on verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled then the angel left her. I am often, uh, through the year, not just at Christmas, it's heightened at Christmas, I'm often captivated by Mary's story, uh, by her response. And it is hard for me as a 40-year-old man to picture myself as a teenage girl and enter into what she might be feeling. Uh, but there are moments where I get insight into what it must be like for her at this point of the story. And, and her response bowls me away. 
So there were, there were lots of different directions I wanted to go this morning, but, but we settled here. Um, I want to look through this story at seven uh, things that are found in this passage that I think are shown in the life of Mary and the circumstances around her that really shows what it looks like to live out the mission that we are choosing to live out as a church, as walking houses of prayer. So here's seven elements from Mary's story of what it looks like to be walking houses of prayer in the world. So here's number one. People who are walking houses of prayer remind the people around them of their position in Christ. We could call it their identity. Gabriel comes to Mary and his response is, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I wanted to stop here because in the busyness of Christmas, I don't know if you're one of those people who right now is feeling the stress that like Amazon's delivery time is starting to give the like ambiguous window that with the little red text underneath saying it might come after Christmas. If you're like me and you're waiting on your wife's present coming, sorry. You're like, ah, you feel the anxiety. Sometimes it's the family drama that's stirring up. Sometimes it's knowing you've got to be in 100 places at once. We had the beautiful day on Thursday where uh, we had to be at uh, Sky's Christmas program. At the same time, we had to be at Ewan's Christmas program. And we had to get to Ella's final volleyball game of the season, which Monica's coaching, and our leadership team meeting all at the same time. And you're going, how are we making this work? Um, So I don't know if you feel like that in this season or if you're one of those people that just gets to slide under the radar. Um, But I think the beauty um, of this verse is the reminder to us in a crazy season of core elements of the identity that we have. The angel speaking these truths over Mary, but in many senses, Mary represents all of us as we walk in the world. All of us as children who are made in the image of God, some of whom have understood who Jesus is and have come to him in a different way. But this truth is true of all of us. All of us in the room in the eyes of God are highly favored. In the middle of the craziness where you're worried if the gift you're going to give is going to be reciprocated. When you're wondering if the, if the family that you're estranged from, if it's all been worth it and if it will ever be reconciled. When you're looking at the brokenness that stirs up in your life, in this season when those things come to the fore, Jesus looks at us and says, greetings. In the eyes of God, you are highly favored. I made you, I chose you, I appointed you. And whether we are Christians or not, God is with us. He's always present. He's always watching. He's always moving. He's always blessing. Of course, we understand that when we give our life to Jesus, there's a fuller way that he's present in us and a more attentive way that he moves in and around us. But it's easy to gloss over these words and be like, these are just words that that Gabriel's given to Mary. She's like special Um, And forget that these words are applied to us. So today I want to start by reminding you, greetings in the name of Jesus. You are highly favored. And in this season of crazy, the Lord is with you. As walking houses of prayer, we receive that. But our job is to go out into the world and remind other people of that position. 
in a season like right now when your friends and family and coworkers and neighbors are frantic, you get to pause and say, hey, greetings. I just want you to know that God highly favors you, warts and all, and that whether you see it or not, he is present and moving and working in you. I think it's often helpful to stop and remember We have no idea what age Mary is at this point in the journey, but most scholars reckon she's a young teen girl. They would come of age around 12. Historically, they would marry off fairly early as soon as their period began. Um, Scholarly consensus puts her in the like 14 to 16 age range as an estimate. This position that she has is not because she's walked with Jesus for 60 years and done nothing wrong. It's not because she is the wisest, most mature, most positioned person in the planet. God is choosing a teenage girl to be the vehicle for breaking into the world. And I think it's very easy to look at our kids, look at someone that's 14, 15, 16 years old and write them off as not yet able to do anything of great significance for the Lord. At a time like this, we are reminded that even the youngest of the kids that are in our church are highly favored by God. He is with them. And if we're raising them in attentiveness to him, then he can use even our tiny ones to bear the presence of Jesus into the lives of the people around us. So you are highly favored. God is with you. And you did nothing to earn it or deserve it. It's a free gift that he gives to you because he loves you. So as walking houses of prayer, we're going to go out in this season and remind people of their position as people that are deeply loved by Jesus. I think the second thing that we see in this passage of what it means to be a walking house of prayer, the passage reminds us that it's okay to be perplexed. I like this word. Mary's response Greetings, you who are highly favored. And her response is troubled and wondering what is about to happen next. Um, I was like, I, I, with these, these words come up and I'm like, what do they really mean? Um, if you look up the definition, you're going to get phrases like inward commotion. Anyone feel some inward commotion right now? Um, to fill the spirit with fear and dread. Anyone dreading Christmas season, presents arriving? Anyone dreading getting to go be with the (laughs) in-laws? Anyone realize that you're the in-law that everyone's dreading coming to see? (laughs) Um, another, Another phrase that was part of this definition, to perplex the mind by suggesting scruples or doubts hesitations, fears, all of these things being stirred up by this greeting. And I don't know about you, sometimes when someone says to me, you know, you're highly favored by the Lord, he loves you. I have that response, right? Not me, you didn't see what I did last night. You didn't see how I talked to my kid. You haven't seen the things that I've been thinking about. You haven't seen the way I've treated people. You haven't seen how selfish I've been. I get troubled. I'm pretty sure if an angel appeared to us today, and appeared right in front of you right now and said, hey, you're highly favored and God is with you, we'd all be like, oh, geez. 
Yeah, no matter what. And do you know, this is the funny thing, right? The number of people that will look at me and say, I just wish God would be really clear. Like, I wish he'd just appear in front of me and tell me exactly what to do. I'm pretty sure if he appeared right now and told you exactly what to do, you would be greatly troubled. <laughs> and been like, I don't know that I want to do that. I don't know that I'm cut out for that. I don't know that I can do it. That's not the answer that I wanted to hear. And as long as it's unclear, we can ignore it. But the clearer it is, the harder that is. I think the beauty of this part of the passage in Mary's response, the Bible didn't have to tell us this part. She could have got the message and she skipped around with joy and gladness and immediately like surrendered everything to the Lord. But the passage is honest. Life is perplexing. There's fear, there's dread, there's doubt, there's inner commotion. Uh, we, we're troubled about the things that, we're, that are happening. We're troubled about things that God asks of us. We look at things happening in the world and we're going, God, I don't understand why you, a good God, would allow these atrocities to take place in the world. I think Mary's journey tells us it's okay to be perplexed. It's okay when God asks us to do something to have fear and doubt and hesitation. It's not good to stay there. But it gives us permission. And I think as Christians walking in the world, I think we can uh, falsely give off the impression and sometimes deliberately create the impression that as Christians we're 100% certain about everything, that we have the monopoly on truth and that we never have any doubt or uncertainty. And I think one of the gifts of being walking houses of prayer is prayer is the place of wrestling with God. It's a place of bringing our perplexing questions, laying them at his feet and, and giving him the chance to answer them. As walking houses of prayer, we get to go out into the world right now during Christmas with a group of people that are perplexed about the Christmas story. They're perplexed about why their families behave the way they are. They're perplexed about the wars that they're seeing in the world. And we get to go out and give them permission. Being a Christian doesn't mean we have it all together. It doesn't mean we have all the answers. In many senses, it's the opposite. The longer I walk with Jesus, the more I realize how little I actually know, how much I have to trust, and how beautiful the mysteries of our faith can be. So at a time like this, go into the world and remind people, it's okay. It's okay to not have it together. It's okay to be a little confused. Perhaps that's the very place where God wants to enter in and lead you forward into a place of deeper revelation. She was greatly troubled and she wondered. This word wondered is to bring together different reasons, to reckon thoroughly, to deliberate. So she didn't just sit in a place of what on earth is going on. She began to think through. What are the possible things that God could be doing? What are the reasons for why he might be appearing? Why might God be doing this in this moment? So we get to invite people to sit in the perplexity and then invite them in to a divine curiosity as they explore the challenges of their life and the world around us. Third thing I think we see in this passage about what it means to walk in, be a walking house of prayer is that our job is to remind people of their purpose. 
The angel said to, to Mary, don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. I've been sitting with this verse and thinking about what does it mean for me as a man to identify with Mary and the call to conceive and to give birth? What does it look like if you're someone in the room that struggled with infertility to identify with Mary's, uh, this instruction to Mary to conceive and to give birth? And the, the reality here, why I said this is reminding of purpose, I think underneath this is the greatest, the, the the creation mandate given in Genesis, go forth and multiply, subdue the earth, be fruitful, uh, was the command to creation. We're supposed to go into the world. We're supposed to cultivate the land. We're supposed to provide. We're supposed to multiply. We're supposed to innovate and establish God's garden and spread it across the earth. Um, I think in this is the great commission that we're supposed to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing people, seeing them come to spiritual life. But I think there's an important piece in here, remembering that all of us, setting aside physical procreation, all of us are called by God to conceive in our inner being who he is, to conceive who Jesus is and what he means, to conceive the purpose, the gifts that he's given us, the, the unique problems that we see in the world that he's uh, breaking our hearts with a desire to fix. All of that is conceived in us and then we're called to go birth it in the world. Prayer is the place where most of the vision of what God wants us to do is conceived. We get on our knees. We cry out to God about the brokenness of the world. We share with him the longings for what we want to see, the dreams that he's given us in that place of prayer. These dreams, these longings, these ideas are birthed in us, are conceived in us, and then we go out and we birth them into the world. We create new businesses. We create new ministries. We build homes where people can be loved and welcomed. We write songs that praise who he is. We build spreadsheets that help our workplace do a better job at the things that, that they're doing. We're all called to conceive and birth something into the world. What are we called to conceive and birth the most? We receive the Holy Spirit. The seed, the deposit, guaranteeing the good things that are promised to us. Through faith, we take hold of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We bring that into our being. We allow Jesus to grow inside of us. And we walk into the world birthing the presence of Jesus through our life to every person that we encounter. Mary physically represents what we do. Well, I guess she physically and spiritually represents what we do spiritually it's a big it's a big ask when God's like have me in you allow me to be allow me to form you into my image and to send you out into the world to represent me allow me to give you gifts and help you identify those gifts allow me to pour into your heart pain at certain areas of brokenness in the world and then give you ideas of how you can go and rectify those wrongs those are big things. A big responsibility is it any wonder that the angel has to say to her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's not all on you. You don't have to figure it out all alone. 
And for us today, I give you my presence, I give you the spirit, I give you the church to come alongside you, to birth these ideas together, to go out into the world, to multiply, to make disciples, to bring new ideas, to form new relationships, to lead people out of darkness and into light, to start 501c3s that, that solve the issues of homelessness, that take care of foster parents, to train up peacemakers, to bring reconciliation. There are things that you look at in the world that are broken and they grieve your heart deeply because God has conceived in you a pain about that issue because he wants you to play a role in helping overcome the brokenness. There's an invitation to allow Jesus to birth that through you and create something beautiful in the world. So as walking houses of prayer, we're reminded of our purpose, but we get to go through this Christmas season, remind other people of the purpose that they have. When you hear someone in your life venting about the brokenness that they see, it's a beautiful opportunity to say, I see how much you are broken by division. And I think God has made you to be an agent of reconciliation. Have you ever thought about what it would look like to allow God to use you to bring reconciliation in the world? I see the pain that you have in this season at consumerism and materialism. Have you ever stopped to realize that God has helped, made you the kind of person that sees what's most important? You value relationships. You value helping people. Perhaps God has put you in the world to help other people see that there's a different way, there's a deeper meaning, there's a better way to do this. So we get to go out into the world and remind the people around us that they're not here by accident, but God has given them purpose and that a season like this, as we looked at last week, our own kingdom can so easily get in the way of the joy of walking in the purpose that God has given to us. Number four, being a walking house of prayer means reminding people that God permits our questions. He allows us to question him. This is one of my favorite things about God, I think. He's big enough to take my biggest challenges to his authority and his methods. As someone that leads, I'm, uh, I am learning that when I have an idea of how things go, lots of other people have an alternate idea that doesn't always look like mine. Um, and when you have a leader who when someone says, hey, I think there's a better way and they just shut their ears and don't listen, we don't respect those leaders. But when you have someone who someone can come and say, hey, I, I see this differently and have a, a, a different way, we all long for a leader that will listen and hear us, honor our suggestions and then say either, yeah, that's great or hang on, like, I think you're misguided. Let me help you understand. And I think that's who God is. I love it, this part of the story. Hey, Mary, you're highly favored. You're gonna end up with this son and he's gonna be the most high. And Mary's response is like, so how? How does this happen? Tell me how this will be. She begins to ask questions of God, which I think is beautiful. In this passage, I don't think there's doubt in this, in this questioning. I don't think she's doubting God. I think she's honestly inquiring, tell me how. I wonder sometimes if our parents haven't done a great job of educating her at this point. 
um, about the how it's going to happen. Um, I don't know. But she doesn't doubt, but she does ask. And the beauty is in her asking, God then responds. Um, God doesn't always give us the answers to the questions that we ask, but he permits us to bring them to him. And again, we're in a season right now where there are lots of people in our life that have big questions. Why is this happening? Why has this happened to me? How can it be that I felt like God was telling me to go this direction and my life has fallen apart? How could my husband cheat on me? How could my child die? How could I lose my business? God's called me to do this thing. How can I even do it? I have no idea how to get there. God is okay with us bringing those questions. And I think the people in our lives are looking for safe people they can bring those questions to. And I think often when people in the world are wrestling with big questions about God, about suffering, about their identity, I think often Christians are the last people they think, think they can go to with their questions because we're going to shoot them down and not give them space to hear. And in those moments where we don't give them space to ask the big painful questions, when they know we're believers and they doubt that we will receive them, we communicate to them that the God that we worship doesn't have room for their questions either. So in a season like this, letting the people know that there is space for the questions that you have, being the kind of person that can hold the questions without supplying the answers, without trying to convince them that their questions are wrong, without shooting them down for asking something inappropriate, we can do a beautiful work in painting a picture of the God that we serve by the way that we hold space for the questions that people ask. I wonder at some of what lies behind Mary's questions. I think about this part of the journey. She knows, she knows the Bible story. She's grown up in Israel in a family that, that, that understands and in a culture that communicates regularly and rehearses the stories of God. So she'll know the story of Sarah, miraculously conceiving a child in her old age. She's probably heard already, if she hasn't, she's just about to, that her, uh, her relative Elizabeth and her husband that are older and have been trying to conceive a child for a while haven't. She knows the stories in scripture where birth happens out of the ordinary. I wonder if she's looking going, God's saying you're gonna conceive a son and I wonder if she's like, does that mean like everyone else, I'm going to be like, not have a baby until I'm like 100 years old and then suddenly you're going to give me the baby that I'm longing for? How's it happening? How's it going to happen? Tell me. I do wonder if this question hints at her being on the younger end of the spectrum, not knowing some of the birds and bees stuff that she might need to know. Um, and I do think it's interesting that the that Luke puts this question in, and I think he's doing it in part uh, to set up the contrast between Zechariah. Zechariah asked a question in, earlier in the chapter when the angel appears to Zechariah and lets them know that they're going to have a kid. Rather than respond with uh, acceptance and then curiosity, Zechariah responds with doubt. And he asked the angel, how can I be sure this is going to happen? I'm old and my wife is old. So like, this ain't happening. So his question comes out of doubt. Mary's question comes out of curiosity. I believe that when you say you're going to do something, you'll do it. Now help me to understand what that's going to look like. There are lots of contrasts being set up 
uh, between Zechariah and, and Mary that I find interesting to contemplate. The priest of God, Zechariah, a priest minister in the temple, the priest doubts, but a teenage girl has belief. The priest is in the temple offering incense which represents the prayers of the people. The young girl, as she grows this baby inside of her and wishes and dreams and talks to her child is in a place of constant intercession for that child. Isn't that crazy? Oh, I hope you're going to grow up to be awesome is a prayer to her Savior. So while the priest is offering incest to represent prayer, Mary is talking directly to the Savior of the world. The priest offered incense in the tabernacle to obscure the presence of God because if you looked at it, you would die. And this young girl, instead of obscuring the presence, is the instrument God is using to reveal the presence of God to the world. The priest approaches outside of the Holy of Holies and he gets all the way in. The last step in the tabernacle is the altar of incense. Zechariah gets to go all the way into the altar of incense, doesn't get to go in and look at the Ark of the Covenant reserved for the high priest once a year. So he walks up close to the Ark and close to the presence of God. Mary becomes the Ark, housing the presence of God. The priest can't enter where God is, but in Mary, God enters where the priest couldn't be. Just some amazing contrast been set up. The, the high priest, uh, the, the one that's supposed to know all, the one that's trained and learned and, and raised to know all the nuances of the law, the one who gets proximity to God is the one failing. And this young teenage girl floundering her way through life having this beautiful divine encounter because of her willing heart. Such a beautiful contrast. Number five, as walking houses of prayer in the world, we get to remind people of the power of God's presence. Verse 34 says, the angel answers her when she says, how will it happen? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. What does the presence of God do in Mary's life? How does the presence of Jesus change her? God is using a physical birth and showing us what this means for us today. We talk about our second birth um, or, or being born again, but I found myself thinking about the, the implications of, of growing a baby inside to be born in the world. I thought about the stretch marks that many moms have as a result. Mary having stretch marks in her body because Jesus is growing inside her. And I was thinking about the way God stretches us as the Spirit inhabits us and he pushes us out of our comfort zone into the world. We should, as believers, have stretch marks on our body that show the ways that we've stepped out in faith to do the things that God has called us to do. I thought about the heartburn and the back pain that Monica had, all the discomfort of the body as it adjusts to this life growing inside. And I was thinking about all the ways the presence of Jesus in us gives us that distaste as it convicts us of our brokenness. Um, as, as we begin to realize that my kingdom is not the kingdom that I should be serving and I've got to lay things down and surrender them, the discomfort. I thought about the expanding heart 
when you watch a, a mom growing a baby and the way she bonds with that child in, inside and, and those moments, I remember with Ella thinking, how can I have room inside to love this child? And by the time Ella comes and then it's Ewan's turn, you're like, how can there be more room for like another child? And God expands the heart to love. I think about the fact that the presence of God moving in Mary this moment, the presence of God moving in us, the process of childbirth, all of those things, they are outside of our control. You can't be like, it's a boy, make it a boy, right? You can't be like, blonde hair, curls, freckles. Like, you can't will the baby to be a particular way. No mom deliberately and intentionally is planning, okay, now can you make the eyes form? Now can we slit the eyelids? Okay, it's time for fingers. Like, no one is intentionally doing that process, but through the design that God has given, it has happened inside and he's wired the body to make this amazing growth happen to be born into the world. The power of God's presence is in us and moving around us. In many senses, it's out of our control. We can't control how he's gonna work. We can't force him to form himself in us. We can't force him to change the people in our lives. We can't force him to lead people to Jesus. But we can, like Mary, be willing to open our life to receive the power and presence of God and then trust that to change us. And if we have that power moving in us and we trust that his power is moving in us, then we know as walking houses of prayer, we go into the world and outside of our ability and outside of our control, God will move through us in the lives of the people around us. He'll use our prayers, he'll use our words, he'll use our service, he'll use our generosity. But outside of us, the presence of God will move in them and birth in them something that we could never conceive of. I think about the way Mary birthing Jesus or carrying Jesus to term, and, and I think of today, the, the way that it impacts the life of a pregnant woman. You have to watch what you eat. You have to watch what you drink. You can't have alcohol. It might damage the day, baby. Probably not a good idea to go bungee jumping um, with a baby in your stomach. You avoid being in a hot tub. The presence of Jesus in the life of Mary meant that her actions and her behaviors had to be dictated by this situation. And the power and presence of God in us means that there are things that we shouldn't eat. There are things that we shouldn't drink. There are things we shouldn't put in our body. There are activities that we shouldn't engage in because we house the presence of God. And so we go out into the world not only carrying his presence, but limiting our life in a way that reflects who he is so that his power is freer to come through us and into the world. There's a word in here that I find fascinating. The power of the most high will overshadow you. We miss the beauty of what's going on. Here's some scripture passages where this comes up elsewhere uh, to, to see what is going on. And when I say Mary has been called to be a walking house of prayer, here's what's going on. The same word is used here. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had overshadowed it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the overshadowing that's happening in Mary that causes Jesus to be conceived inside of her is the same overshadowing that happened when the presence of God filled the tabernacle so that no one could go inside. 
I find Psalm 91 fascinating, one of these moments where we have the feminine side of who God is. God will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. God, the image of the, the, the bird, the mother bird sheltering its, its eggs under its wings, but this image of God overshadowing this maternal moment. Um, Matthew 17 uh, the, the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus goes up the top of the mountain. His three disciples go with him. They're at the top and it says, Jesus is transfigured. He starts glowing. And the disciples are like, this is awesome. Let's build tents and live here forever. And then a cloud descends and overshadows the situation. And then later on, in the, as the church is birthed into the world and the power of the Spirit is moving in his people, you have this moment where Peter's walking around and, and these people that are sick are just trying to get in proximity so that the shadow can pass over them because there's power and healing in that shadow. So the image of the tabernacle, the image of God protecting people, the way God moved in the moment of transfiguration, the way God moves in the church, all of those encapsulated in this word with Mary, that the spirit would come, the most high would overshadow her. Mary, the house of prayer. Mary, the new tabernacle where God's presence would reside. Mary, the dwelling place of God for nine months. I wonder, I've said this here before, I wonder at times when when God chose to come and be born in Mary, it looks like Old Testament, we know Old Testament, the presence has left the temple. The Jewish people are still worshiping there. They're going through the rituals without the presence of God being physically present over the Ark of the Covenant. This moment where Mary can see, uh, the, the, the Jesus is conceived inside of Mary, the presence of God is inside her body. While that is happening, the Jewish people are still going to the temple thinking the presence of God is going to be there. And he's out walking around. He's left the temple. And in the person of Mary, he's walking around the world. And how do we know that's the case? Because she goes and sees Elizabeth and the baby in Elizabeth starts jumping for joy inside in response to the presence of God. I think that's the calling we have as houses of prayer that we would walk in the world with the presence of God carrying through us, the other Christians should be able to sense the presence of the Spirit in us and jump for joy at its fullness. The world around us should encounter him as they walk forward. Number six, as walking houses of prayer, we remind people of the promises of God. The angel tells Mary that Elizabeth is having a baby. Why? Because no word from the Lord will ever fail. Do you trust this? Do you trust that no word from the Lord will ever fail? That when he says he will see you through to completion, that it will happen? Do you believe when he says he can protect you from stumbling, that he will do that? Do you believe that when he says, I will protect you, he will protect you? Or when he says, when you walk through the fires, I will be with you, do you believe it? When he says, I can redeem any situation, do you believe in his redemptive power? Do you believe in the promise that if you share the gospel, there will be persecution, but don't worry, I'm with you. And in those moments, are you confident enough to, to share the gospel in light of persecution, knowing that he's going to help you and give you the words in the moment that you need them? Do you believe that he's coming back? He wants to come back and to be with us and establishes what he's going to do. Do we trust this? 
Because if we don't trust that he is fulfilling his promises to us, we're going to have a hard time telling the people out there that God wants to fulfill the promises that he is making to them. So we have a job to remind ourselves in a season like this, like why do we revisit the Christmas story every year to remember the promises that God has made, the story that we're entering into. I love this image. You've probably seen this before, um, but it's an image of Eve and Mary. The promise from the beginning as Eve ate from the fruit and allowed sin to enter the world, this promise that the, the serpent, she was going to have a, a child and the child was going to crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent was going to bite his heel. The promise that one day the curse would be reversed, that one day what Eve did would be undone. That in Mary, the second Eve in some sense, Eve is the one who through her disobedience brought sin into the world. Mary, through her willingness to say yes to Jesus, open, uh, yes to God, opened the door for Jesus to enter in to bring salvation to the world. There's this beautiful fulfillment of promise that we're celebrating right now. The curse was undone. In Jesus, the curse is defeated. Sin has no more power we don't have to struggle under its weight, but through the power and the presence of the Spirit, we can walk into the world free and offering freedom to the people around us. Last one. As uh, walking houses of prayer, we get to remind people of the appropriate posture they're supposed to have as people responding to the power and the presence of God. The verse that we love so much, Mary's response, I am your servant, May your word to me be fulfilled. Are you willing to say this to the Lord? I'm your servant. I'm willing to go to the ends of the earth for you. I'm willing to leave my family behind. Are you willing to say, God, I am going to, yeah, I'm going to follow you. I am your servant. If you're telling me to leave this relationship because it doesn't honor you, may your word to me be fulfilled. Are you willing to say, I'm the Lord's servant? Yes, I'll preach the gospel to my boss, even knowing that I might lose my job, my job as a result, but knowing that you will keep me safe, that you will provide what's needed, that you will guide me on. It's our job to remind people of the appropriate posture, and the posture is simple. It's one of openness. It's one of receptivity. It's one of readiness to respond. It's one that's willing to ask questions of God when they come up. But if we want to be walking houses of prayer, we've got to examine ourselves. Is this my posture? God, it's painful. I don't like it. It's been difficult, but I'm your servant. And I'm willing to have your word fulfilled in me. So I want to do this for a moment, if you will humor me. I want you to place your hand over your heart. And I want you to place your other hand over your tummy. And I want you to close your eyes for a moment and, and I want you to think about Mary as she had her hand on her tummy knowing that this baby full of promise was inside of her, not understanding all that that would entail, but having made the decision that she was willing to house the presence of God. I want you to think of your hand over your heart, the promise of scripture that Christ dwells in us, that the Holy Spirit indwells us. And if you don't walk with Jesus, what you don't realize is what your hand is over is a gaping hole because you were designed 
to have your spirit and the spirit of God working in harmony and dwelling together inside of your body. And if you don't know Jesus, he's not there. And so there's a hole there that needs to be filled and Jesus wants to come in and fill it. And so I want you in the quietness of your heart, everyone, to, if, you, if you have Jesus, I want you to just reassert, Jesus, I want to be your servant with your word fulfilled in me. Make more room in me for your presence. And if you don't know Jesus, I promise you that knowing Jesus is the best thing that can ever happen to you. And so you just need to say, Jesus, there's a hole inside of me that needs filled. Jesus, thank you that you died for my brokenness. Thank you that you called me to you. Help me to live out the purpose that you have for me. I submit myself to you. I'm yours. Show me how to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name. Jesus is with you as we go in this season. So your job is to carry him with you into every shop, into every workplace, into every home, so that the people around you can encounter his presence. I was gonna finish differently. Um, I, was, I had a question that I was gonna have us do, but in pre-service prayer, some things came up. So here's what I would like to do. Um, I'd like to take a little bit of time. I think there's people in the room that need prayer. Um, I think we all need prayer all the time, but I think there are people in the room that specifically need prayer today. Um, so here's how I would like to do this. If, if you're able, I'd love everyone in the room to stand up. Um, and then if you're here and you are, you came in this morning and you're like, I just really need some prayer. There's physical stuff going on in my life. There's family stuff going on in my life. There's hard things going on in my heart. Uh, and you would like some prayer. I want you, if you want prayer, I just want you to sit down where you are. 